We're going to look at, first up, Deuteronomy 4, 5. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear all about these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. If you can turn to page 829 now, we're going to have a, t a reading from the New Testament. It's Ephesians 5, and we're starting at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husband ought to husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Hey, nice to see you. A few new faces. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's a great week to join us. We're starting a new series on, on the church. So why don't I pray? And please keep your Bibles open at Ephesians chapter 5. Lord, it's so good just to gather. It's good just to stop. To be quiet and to be still and to, to meet with you. Thank you that you've given us each other to encourage us. Thank you you've given us uh, gifts of music so we can lift our voices to you. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for your spirit who is our teacher. Uh, thank you that uh, we can sit and hear your word preached tonight. And I pray that you would do a mighty work in each one of us. Teach us, train us, correct us, rebuke us, refine us. 
Lord, whatever you need us to hear, I pray you would teach us. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, we're starting a new series. It's called We Are uh, Building a Passion for God's Church. Every year at Church by the Bridge, we have a, a theme for the year. Uh, so two years ago, our theme was uh, Depth in Christ. A year where we want to spend more and more time plowing the depths of who Jesus is, his character, his actions, his words, so we could love him more deeply. Uh, Last year, our theme for the year was the year of living generously. Uh, If you claim to follow Jesus, if you claim to believe in Jesus, the Bible says that that must show itself in good works. Uh, We want to be people who display our love for Jesus in action, uh, the year of living generously. So what's our theme for 2010? What's our theme for the year? Here it is. Uh, The year of the local church. 2010, the year of the local church. And as I've talked to people about about this goal or this vision, uh, the the comments have been quite interesting. People have said, oh, that's a bit inward looking. Or, Or that's a bit parochial. Well, that's a bit left field. Uh, Why are we talking about the year of the local church? Here's why. As I look at church by the bridge, as I look at churches around Sydney, I think most Christians today fall into five categories. Uh, Some Christians love the church. You know, you're here most weeks and you attend regularly and you, you've got this servant heart and there's joy as you gather together. And it, I, I thank God for you people. You love the local church. There are other people who, what I call, have a, a shallow conviction. A shallow conviction about the, the importance and the privilege of a local church. There are Christians throughout the world who long just for half an hour with another believer. There are Christians throughout the world who would, who would just cherish to meet with brothers and sisters and to hear the word preached because they're so isolated. And we sit here in Sydney and there's hundreds of churches we could walk to or we could drive to, but we just can't be bothered. We don't think it's important. And so people said to me last year some, some real quotes Paul, I belong to God's church. I don't need to belong to a local church. Paul, I love God. I don't want to get involved in a local church. Uh, Someone said, I'm flitting between two churches. I I like the teaching at this church. I prefer the music at that church. So I just divide my time between the two. I won't be committed anywhere. Uh, Someone said, I used to belong to a church, and now I just pop along when I feel like it. Or someone said, I'm just not enjoying church, so I'll just take a break for a while. A shallow conviction of the, the privilege and importance of a local church. Uh, others are what I call the, the disillusioned churchgoers. There's many of those in Sydney. You grew up in the church, and you went to the youth group, and then you were youth group leaders, and when you were 18 and 19 and 20, you were at church on Sunday night and Monday night and Wednesday night and Friday night, and you served and you served, and you were made to feel guilty if you didn't come to church. And you're just disillusioned because you've given so much, and you're just tired. Or you're disillusioned because you've had a bad experience of church. Somebody at church has hurt you or disappointed you, often a minister, 
and you're just disillusioned the church. Uh, loving church, a shallow understanding of church, a disillusion with church. Uh, there's another group of people who are called the, the habit churchgoers. You know, it's, oh, it's 5.30 on a Sunday afternoon and I've got an hour before church and oh, I've got to go. So I'll get in the car and I'll, I'll drive to church and find a park and I'll walk into the building and I'll sit here and I'll sing and I'll listen to the sermon. I'll even go to supper and I'll get back into, church, into the car and I'll drive home again and I'll just tick the box. Done, church. But in reality, the word of God has had no impact on you at all. You were just going out of habit. Uh, the loving of church, the shallow, uh, the disillusioned, the habit Christian, the habit churchgoer. Uh, but I reckon the biggest category, and I'm about to use a term that you will find offensive, I reckon the biggest category of churchgoers I see in Sydney is this. They're people who are dating God's church. You're dating God's church. It's a phrase stolen by this excellent book by Joshua Harris. It's called Stop Dating the Church, Fall in Love with the Family of God. You don't believe you're dead in the church? Uh, let me give you an illustration to prove that you are. It's ripped straight out of this book. It goes like this. Hey, Tom, how you going? Yeah, good. Seeing someone at the moment? Actually, I'm quite, yeah quite committed to my local church. Her name's Grace. Oh, right. Yeah, we hang out on a Sunday and yeah, and again on a Wednesday. Oh, right, so you like this church, do you? Oh, yeah, she's great. Yeah, you know, the music's awesome and the people are actually okay <laughs> and we have fun. So uh, how long have you guys been together? Oh, two years now. So you and this church, like, you're committed. Oh, Kind of, but you know, keep my options open because I don't want to commit too quickly to one church. I mean, I'm just young, and there's lots of other churches out there that I could benefit from. But you really like her. Uh, yeah. The first six months were great. In the first six months, you know, we hung out every Sunday and every Wednesday and even joined a connect group. She kept telling me that if I joined a group, then I'd feel more, more, more connected. And the first six months, yeah, they were awesome, but then... I kind of spotted things that they just irritated me. Oh, like what? Oh, she got a bit clingy. It's like Sunday. She expected me to be here for, for three hours. And it was like, turn off your mobile phone, and I can't SMS when I'm with you. And, and then she started saying, hey, why don't you get involved midweek? Why don't we do things on a Wednesday night together? And I'm like, whoa! Steady on. So you in this church, like, do you reckon there's a future? Oh, maybe. Uh, I'm just enjoying just hanging out. But, you know, I'm not really ready to commit. And I reckon that is a lot of churchgoers here in Sydney. At a church, enjoying all the, the privileges when it makes us feel good but we don't have any of the responsibilities or any of the commitment that's involved in belonging to a local church. Is that you? Dating God's church? 
just hanging around for six months, a year, two years, three years, until a better option comes along. Let's look at the Bible. What is God's church? What is God's church? God's church, literally, the, the word is ecclesia. It just means gathering. And long before any clergy or any buildings or any institutions, God was about gathering his people. It was that reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's on the screen. This is what Deuteronomy 4 literally says. Remember the day you churched before the Lord your God at Horeb or Sinai. When he said to me, church the people before me to hear my words so they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and they may teach them to their children. Uh, church the people or assemble the people, gather the people. Uh, it's, it's the word used when you know a, a father has kids all around Australia. Uh, a son in Queensland and a daughter in Tasmania and another daughter in Perth. And the father gathers the kids home and they gather together and they meet together because they're family. And that's what God does at, at Mount Sinai or Horeb. He gathers his people from different parts of the nations and they meet in one place. And why do they meet? What happened at Mount Sinai? Deuteronomy 4 tells us that they encountered God. And in the smoke and the fire and the clouds, God spoke from the mountain. God spoke his word to them. And it was written down called the Ten Commandments. That was the first church. It's in Acts chapter 7 verse 38. Stephen calls it church in the desert. The people of God gathered together uh, to encounter God in his word. And throughout the Old Testament, uh, God's people churched. They churched at Ebal in Joshua chapter 8 when God renewed the covenant. They churched in Jerusalem at the, the Feast of the Tabernacles. They kept churching and churching as they gathered together to meet with God and hear his word. See, church is not a New Testament idea. Church has always been at the, the center of God's plans and purposes for his world. There's an extraordinary verse in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 verse 10, just look at it with me. It says, his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. The manifold wisdom being what verse 9 talks about, the mystery of the gospel. Uh, the mystery of the gospel that God would reconcile people to himself is being made known to the world through what? Uh, not through books and not through conferences and not through podcasts and not through friendships, but through the church. When the people of God gather together to meet with God, to hear his voice, to listen to him, to encourage each other, God is at work to reveal his mystery of the gospel to the world. That's the purpose of church. Save people, redeem people, gathering together. Let me make two quick points. I keep meeting people who say, I belong to God's universal church. I'm a member of God's worldwide church. Yeah, you are. You know, the moment you turn to Christ, the moment you believe in Jesus, uh, God adopts you into this, this is worldwide family and you've got brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. And I, I hope that you've experienced that. I remember walking to a church in Thailand and I didn't speak the language, I knew nobody, didn't understand a word that was being said, but there was some connection because we were all one in Christ. But listen carefully. Just because you belong to the big C worldwide church doesn't mean that God doesn't expect you to belong to a little C local gathering. 
Because uh, the, the majority of the time the word church is used in the New Testament is that little c local gathering. Uh, the church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus, the church in Priscilla and Aquila's house. The expectation is if you claim to, believe to, the world, to belong to the worldwide church, that you will choose to express that by gathering locally with the Christians that God has placed in your town or your village or your suburb. A little sea church. And the other thing is that uh, the moment you turn to Christ, the Bible tells you that you're actually part of what's called the invisible heavenly church. That's there in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. And God seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He's saying the moment you turn to Christ, you are raised with Christ, you're seated with Christ. And even now, you are seated in heaven and you're worshipping Jesus with all the saints, past and present. The heavenly church. But this is just the visible representation of that invisible reality. But the thing is that there are people gathered here today who are part of the the visible church, and you sit here every week, but you're not actually part of the invisible church because you have no relationship with Christ and vice versa. What is church? Church, let's get this really clear, church is God's people meeting in the presence of God to do business or to encounter God in his word. The local gathering of Christians. We are church. So my question is this, what does Jesus think of his church? If Jesus stood here tonight at this lectern and you said to him, Jesus, what do you think of your church? What do you think he'd say? Divided? Factious? A bunch of odd people? Boring? I'll tell you what Jesus would say. He'd say these words. This is my, my bride. This is my beautiful, perfect, spotless bride. Because that's how God describes his church. God's church is the bride of Christ. He says in Revelation 19, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the, the wedding of the Lamb has come. Jesus and his bride, the church, has made herself ready. Uh, that's the, the image in Ephesians 5. Look at it with me. Wives, submit your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the, the picture of marriage is used for Christ and his church. Christ is the husband, and the church is his bride. I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding day. Stephen and Rach Craig were married in this church yesterday. And at every wedding, there's that time, you know, two o'clock wedding, and it gets to five past two and ten past two and quarter past two, and I think, oh, come on, how late? And then the doors at the back of church close, and everyone goes, hush. And I walked down the front and said, would the congregation please stand to welcome the bridal party? And the doors open, and in walks the bridesmaids. No offense here, but, you know, if you've ever been a bridesmaid, no one really cares about you. <laughs> Everyone is just waiting. 
and they are waiting, and they are waiting. Now, who are they waiting for? They're waiting for the bride. And the bride steps through that door. And again, let's be honest, we sit in the pews and we go, yeah, she looks okay. <laughs> nice hair, a mm, bit too much makeup, dress, yeah, a bit 80s, but, you know. <laughs> we analyze the bride. Uh, but there's one person in church who doesn't do that. And he's standing right here. And he's looking at his bride walking down the aisle. And they've often got tears in their eyes. Because to him, she is spotless and faultless and beautiful and perfect. And she's his bride. And that's the image that Jesus uses to describe us, his church. And that's what Ephesians 5 is all about. It's often used about marriage. It's more about Christ and his church. What does Jesus think about the church? Well, he loves the church. Uh, Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved his church. How much did Christ love his church? Verse 25, look at it. He gave himself up for her. He laid down his life for her. He shed his blood for her. He, he walked a lonely hill called Calvary for her. He took the sins of, his world, of the world on his shoulders to buy her back. That is love. You see, before the cross, there were two types of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And after the cross, there were three people. There were the Jews, there were the Gentiles, and there was this new thing called the church. Loved by Jesus, bought with the precious blood of the Savior. How much does Jesus love his church enough to die for her? Not fickle, not flighty, but selfless, sacrificial love. But the problem is this, that our experience of church often doesn't match what we read in the scriptures. See, the Bible talks about the bride as being the place where We love each other and we share each other's burdens and we pray for each other and we encourage each other and uh, we just share our lives with each other. But in reality, most people's or many people's experience of church is a place where they're lonely, uh, they are slandered or gossiped about, or there's fighting. And you're kind of going, if that is the bride, what is going on? And that's the tension we live with. And that's why verses 26 and 27 are so important. Because Jesus not only only loves the church, but he, verse 26, he's in the process, an ongoing tense of cleansing her, of cleansing the church by the washing with water through the word. It's a beautiful metaphor that uh, the washing with water through the word is kind of like as we meet together to encounter Jesus in his word, As the word is preached, God is doing a good work of cleansing us. As the word goes out, it it, it exposes all the dirt and it reveals the bitterness and it reveals the slander and the division. And the word goes out and says, that's what's wrong. This is what needs to happen to change. And that's because Jesus longs for the day. He's looking forward to a day that's in verse 27 where he's going to present the church, his bride, to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 
So this passage is not just about husbands encouraging his wife to be godly and building her. It is about Christ doing a good work of cleansing us and changing us and getting rid of our slander and fighting and hypocrisy and deception and every other blemish because we're heading for a day when we stand before him as a spotless, perfect bride. But that's future. And this is now. It's almost like I want to hang a, church, hang a sign outside of church. Church by the bridge, work in progress. Because that's what we are, a work in progress. We're not perfect, and we never will be to the day that Christ returns. John Stott says this, On earth she's often in rags and tatters. The church is stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day she will be seen for what she really is, nothing less than the bride of Christ. Uh, She'll be free from spots, wrinkles, or any other disfigurements, holy and without blemish, beautiful and glorious. It's to this constructive end that Christ has been working and is continuing to work. The bride doesn't make herself presentable. It's the bridegroom who labors to beautify her in order to present her to himself. Jesus is at work in this church. And that's a comfort to me, you know. The fact that Jesus sees the inappropriate comment, the fact that Jesus sees the person who leaves here on a Sunday night feeling lonely because no one's talked to them, the fact that Jesus knows when there's fighting and division, the fact that Jesus knows we make big mistakes and little mistakes, he knows all of that. And he wants to change us and cleanse us through his word as the word goes out week by week. But if we don't gather, if you don't bother coming, you don't hear the word preached, how can he cleanse us? How can he make us more and more perfect? I keep meeting people trying to find the perfect church. One year in this church, one year in that church, always looking for the perfect church. Listen to the words of, of Spurgeon. He says, If I had never joined a church till I found the perfect one, I should not have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I'd found one, the moment I joined it, I should have spoiled it. If it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, to me, church is the dearest place on earth. The local church. Loved by Jesus, being cleansed by Jesus, and we're submitting to Jesus because Jesus is the head of this church. That's what it says in verse 23. The husband is the head of the, of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Of course, Jesus is the head. Jesus bought us, Jesus formed us, Jesus owned us, Jesus is the cornerstone of this church. He sets its vision, its direction, its mission, its purpose. Uh, this church is not based around human strategic plans or mission statements or vision statements is based around Jesus Christ and his word. He's the head. We are the body. And so our role is to do what? Complain? Shake our fist at Jesus like a little child. I don't like it, Jesus. Have a temper tantrum when we don't like what his word says? No. Our word is to say, you're the head. You're right. You are good. You know what's best for us, Jesus. And I will willingly and gladly submit to you. See, Jesus is head of this church. Not me, not our parish council or wardens, but the Lord Jesus Christ. 
what happens when a church is built around any one person or any one personality? What happens when a church talks about church, 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 join our church, join our church, attend our church, serve at our church, and there's no mention of Jesus? I'll tell you what happens. Church becomes a, a man-made, self-centered, egotistical institution. We're here to serve, know, love, submit, and honor Jesus. Please hold me accountable here. Please, each week, think, did Paul preach Jesus? Was I encouraged to know Jesus better and to serve Jesus more? Was I encouraged to go home and just live my life under his lordship and his headship? And do that with each other. We're here to submit to Jesus, our head. Because, this is what blew me away, we are married to Jesus. Whether you're here tonight as single, married, divorced, widowed, you are married to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the remarkable truth of verse 31. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And I was thinking, yeah, this is, this is a profound mystery. Marriage is a profound mystery. But he's not talking about marriage. Verse 32, he's talking about what? Christ and the church. And what he's saying there is that the, the intimacy uh, that a man enjoys with a woman in marriage is the same intimacy and one fleshness and unity that Christ longs to have with us as his church. We're his bride. We're his wife. We are intimately married to him. Let me be very clear. God did not get his inspiration for loving the church, for marriage. God didn't see the way that a, a man loves his wife and thinks, oh, that's a great idea. I think I'll love my church like that. God has always loved his church like that. And he created marriage as a human way of, of visibly demonstrating his kind of love for his church. That sacrificial, costly, selfless love. And he's calling you and inviting you to enjoy that intimacy of marriage with him and us as a body. It's almost like Jesus is here and the doors of the back of church open as a hush as we collectively, the church, walk in as his bride. And Jesus is like just gasping at the beauty of us, his local church. That's what the Bible talks about. The story of a man who went to church in the States and met the minister. He said, oh, I've been married for 30 years. And talked about his marriage. And uh, the man he was talking to said, oh, do you want to see a picture of my bride? And the minister thought, oh, that'd be nice. And so the man opened his wallet and picture of my bride. He expected that the man to get out this tatty photo, you know, 30 years old with a woman in a beautiful white dress. But he didn't. This man got out a picture of this old lady with gray hairs and wrinkles. And he said to the minister, yeah, this is my bride. And I love as much today as I did then. That's how Jesus sees us as his church. Cherished, loved, adored, precious to him. And friends, that is the reason, the best reason that I know why you and I should love the local church. Because Jesus does. 
That's the best reason that we should be passionate about the local church, because Jesus is. That's why my heart and your heart needs to be aligned with God's heart about the local church. Because as John Stott says, if the church is central to God's purpose, it must also be central to ours. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? But that's what we do, isn't it? We place the church at the circumference of our lives. We fit it into our schedule, into our calendar when we feel like it. Let me close by two quick implications. There are real dangers of dating God's church. If you're a church dater here tonight, if you are continually flitting from one church to another, or just attending sporadically when you feel like it, you're in grave danger. How do you spot a church data? The church data will always talk about themselves. They always define church by themselves. I'll come when I feel like it. I'll do the course that I want to do. I'll serve in the area that makes me feel good. And it's all about me, me, me. And the church daters are always the, the most critical people in church. They spent a year there and a year there and a year there and they come to church and they just analyze everything and they're critical. And the church daters are always the, the consumers. You know, when the best next product comes along, the next church with better music or with better preaching, they're off. No commitment to relationships. Just off to the next church for the next little while. And if that is you, you're in grave danger. Because the problem of church dating is that you never allow anybody in church to know you, to love you, to encourage you, to share their life with you. You're missing out. And the church is missing out because you're not letting the church experience all the gifts that God has given you. I often bump into people up at Woolies and Neutral Bay or Coles or wherever it is and they've sat in these pews at some point over the last five years and I say to them, oh, which church are you at these days? Oh, I kind of go into this church but just, just very occasionally. And it saddens me but it doesn't surprise me. Because when they were here we saw them once every six weeks, once every eight weeks and never really got involved. Just flitting in when they felt like it. You're missing out because there's real joy in belonging. There's real joy in belonging to a church. What's the joy? Well, you learn together, you worship together, you care together, you serve together, you discipline each other, you assure each other, you hold on to each other, you, you evangelize together, and you're what I call, you just do life together. You do life together. 30 years ago, that was the norm. 30 years ago, you, you grew up in the church, you got married in the church, you had the kids in the church, then your kids got married at that church, and you had the grandkids there, and then you died there, and you'd lived life as a church family, and you've seen all the highs and all the lows and all the happy times and all the sad times. You just did life together. But that's gone. Yeah, part of our mobile society, but partly because we're selfish. There's real joy in belonging. Saying, yeah, this is my church and I love these people and 
I'm going to just do life with them. And that's amazing, you know. God works wonderful ways. When you can meet with somebody who's gone through the same experience as you were, you're going through 20 years before, and they can sit with you and pray with you and cry with you and pastor you, because you belong to a family called the Bride of Christ. If you love Jesus, you'll love the local church. Because we're loved by Jesus. He's cleansing us. And we're married to him. And that's why Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, Church to me is the dearest place on earth. Let me pray. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed. We thank you that you loved us enough to sacrifice yourself for us, not just individually but corporately. We thank you that you've placed us in Kirribilli with a church and brothers and sisters. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you, you give us the privilege of gathering together each week and we thank you that we can share our lives with each other. We thank you that we can encourage each other. Lord, we thank you that we can just build each other up in Christ. Lord, please, would you work in our hearts to give us a, a passion for your bride. Yeah, Lord, we acknowledge our faults. We acknowledge our failings. We acknowledge all the way that we don't, we don't live up to bride that you've made us to be so please cleanse us by your word and lord help us to just enjoy that intimacy with you as we gather and i plead these things in jesus precious name